Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Just bringing you the embarrassment, hot and ready. <laughs> you know, the thing about our podcast, Ben, is that when when a customer is ready to have it, yeah, uh, they don't have to wait for it to be cooked. No. It's hot and ready for them yeah, like immediately. It, we are the little Caesars of Star Trek podcasts. It's true. We just got to <laughs> look at look at behind me. Where's my camera? Oh yeah. The look at, just look, look for at the all these podcasts light. behind me. Yeah. <laughs> you can have any one of these. Yeah. You can even have the greatest discovery, which is another Star Trek podcast that we make. The embarrassment is distributed like so many pizza toppings unevenly. Yeah. I should say. Uh, one, of the, one of the ways that we're kept in check is, is by being reviewed. We appreciate the, the thousands of reviews that the show has earned. Three, specifically. Right, three thousands. Three, three thousand reviews. And uh, that's, I mean, that's worth some kind of celebration, right? It so sure good is. job by us. We yeah. got 3,000 reviews. Uh, we've, we've sort of warped the review system for a purpose, though. Uh, and that purpose lately has been to try to do a semi-regular Q&A session on our Marin Open. Yeah. I think we're going to try to do that again today. We are. And, uh, you know, first of all, thanks to everyone who has left a five-star review. You totally rule. And uh, in your face to everyone that's left a one-star review, you totally drool. I mean, these people uh, made us the number one Star Trek pizza podcast in the world. <laughs> For that, we are grateful. <laughs> You want uh, me to pick some questions out of the hat and throw them at you, Adam? Oh yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, like a like a pie to the face hit me <laughs> with a cue for my A. What do you think? I hate this. I love it. It is revolting. More, please. Why don't you lay one on me? My body is ready. All right. This uh, this first question says, "What are y'all's favorite Starfleet uniforms? Any era, any show?" I mean, it's hard to beat Action Jacket era Captain <laughs> Picard Starfleet uniform. I think it's great. Yeah. Vest, maybe a second. It's crazy that one character has gotten so many great Starfleet uniforms to wear. He got many, many variations. I liked a lot of the different era uniforms they put him in for Star Trek Colin Picard also. Um, I also really have a soft spot for the TOS, like, con and and higher movie uniforms. I really like those. I think that maybe my my biggest problem with those is that, like, I kind of feel this with, like, most military uniforms, which is that I can't, like, at a glance decode what somebody's rank is in the Mm. same... Like, I, I think that the the simplicity of detecting someone's rank in anything from TNG through, you know, Voyager is is uh, something I really appreciate. But the from a from a a look standpoint, you know, having that flap open with some blood on it. Bloody flap. On the <laughs> on the love Wrath it. of Khan uniform. That's a hot look. I love a bloody flap. Yeah. Uh, it's something that, that you just never you know what, there wasn't a lot of blood 
in a next gen era TV <laughs> or movies, right? And when yeah. you did get it, what did it look like? It was Tasha Yar's weird splotch blood on her face. <laughs> right. That didn't look like blood. Get some green looked- Romulan blood from time to time, or just some like dried on blood. It seems like space would be a dangerously bloody place. Yeah. I'm with you. I mean, if we're going to go TOS, that era is is my favorite. It's it's the necks that do it for me. The sky-high vampire neck on the, <laughs> on the jacket of Wrath of Khan. Yeah. I mean, oh, man, that's how a high hot can jacket. it go? Now, yeah. that's an action jacket. <laughs> you know, that? Like I would say that the TNG movie uniforms that they are now wearing on Deep Space Nine in this era of the show may be my all-time fave, because I think that they kind of combine some of the stuff that I love about that TOS uniform and the stuff that I like about the TNG uniform. They have a good drape, don't they? Part of what makes early season TNG a little bit hard on the eyes (laughs) is that like adults don't tend to wear leotards Uh outside of a very specific context. Right. And everyone on that show is wearing a leotard on yeah. TV. Yeah. And as soon as uh, as soon as the garments get thicker and they get darker, yeah, uh, I think it's I think it's better for an adult body mm-hmm. wearing something like that. Yeah, it's a, a more tailored look. They don't always look like they're about to break out in jazzer size. Right. Or like go off the top rope <laughs> at someone. <laughs> All right. Here's another one. Hypothetically, what would be our f- plot for the ideal Deep Space Nine episode that we never got or haven't gotten yet. You know where we are in in DS9, and I think everyone who's listening to this episode knows where we are. They also know I haven't seen any episode past this one. Yeah. Ben, my pitch for the ultimate episode of Deep Space Nine goes like this. Okay. Major Kira dumps Odo. <laughs> and then there is a huge party on Deep Space Nine. And that and that fire dancers there. Mm, yeah. Everyone's psyched. Oh yeah. It's it's great. Mm. Uh, the Rutledge comes back. The Rutledge is the party ship, right? Yeah. If you're not gonna get the hood, get the Rutledge. <laughs> Or no, the Rutledge was was O'Brien's Wait, oh yeah. ship. Oh no, what was the what was you the party ship? You don't want to confuse ship? those ships. Was the, it wasn't the Cairo, was it? I feel like it begins with an S. The Saratoga. Saratoga. There you go. You you bring the Saratoga back. You you dock her up right under the ring. You maybe throw away the key once you dock the Saratoga <laughs> up at Deep Space Nine. Oh man. And uh, and it's fire dancing for a week. Fun. That's mine. What's yours? Boy, I think. Um, how about one where uh, where Cork is uh, is is finally indicted and prosecuted <laughs> to the fullest extent of the law? Yeah, we get a hard legal drama episode <laughs> w- with Quark as the as the defender, and he's not on the show after that. <laughs> yeah, pretty high stakes up. Yeah. All right. Here's another one. Uh, this one's kind of for me. I think is Harry Bosch canonical Trek, and then the. The text of the, that's the title of the review, and the text is, Fight Me. <laughs> um, I think about this a lot, watching Bosch, because I don't, I don't know if, uh, I haven't actually looked into this, but I suspect that either there is some part of the production team, or at the very least, the casting team on Bosch that may 
also work within the Star Trek industrial complex because there are a lot of Star Trek that guys and that girls showing up on Bosch. I've only watched like a couple of seasons of the show, but Jerry Ryan is on it. The lady that played Raffi in Star Trek Picard. There's oh, a lady cool. from uh, Star Trek Enterprise that has some stuff in Bosch. Very few people would recognize her from that, though, huh? <laughs> I might be the only person that's watched both Star Trek Enterprise and Bosch. The great thing about being on Star Trek Enterprise is that you'll never be typecast. <laughs> uh, I know a lot of people love that show. I, yeah. Uh, I think those people also know I'm right. <laughs> I, I think that there's some, some really good and redeeming stuff about Star Trek colon Enterprise, Adam. I'm not ashamed to say it. Bakula wasn't punished for that show. No. He continues to act. He he does. Des- despite that being maybe Bakula's worst role that I've ever seen him in. I think that Bakula mm-hmm. is kind of the weak link on that show. Wow. I mean, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tease our many Star Trek Enterprise fans. You know we're doing that show eventually. We only roast the ones we love. Mm-hmm. Um, here's, a, here's another question, Adam. Five stars and a question. Great show. Mm. Everyone should listen from TGD based on the Tilly food fight and the fortune cooking cookie phasering. What this five star rating presupposes is maybe there are low level phasers that clean the mess hall. If there are DS9 or TNG shorts, what stories would you like to see? Uh, So this is a question about, I guess, the short treks series that they're uh, putting out on uh, CBS All Access. Like what? What would a what would a plot in a more DS9 TNG type era uh, be that we would like? This is a question that really excites me because it makes real the possibility of such a thing. Yeah, like I think it's all on the table, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think it's been stated fairly clearly that the short treks concept is not just isolated on any one show this is this is a canonical story that one is able to tell on this format so it makes me think that that it could be realistic to expect era spanning short treks from even the the ds9 and the tng era why wouldn't we get those right how about this adam kern on on Kronos, living his falsified identity, starts to put pieces together and realize that he was someone else before. What about that episode? Why wouldn't that happen? Tony Todd's still around, isn't he? Tony Todd loves playing old. <laughs> he is, in fact, old right now. Yeah, yeah. That'd be amazing. Throw Todd a short track. Fight me. Short Todd. <laughs> Is the episode I'd be looking forward to. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Bring back Captain Riker for a a cooking show. Not a chance. Right. Like, they did that really fun thing in the Trouble with Edward episode, like how good they can play with genre. Right. Like, they could do the Captain Riker cooking show. No way. (laughs) Maybe he teaches you how to make a real pizza. Not this time. That would be rad. Who wouldn't watch that? I would I would watch the hell out of that. I would too, and it and it plays on on the Federation News Channel. We get commercials yeah. in it. Mm. <laughs> I'd love that. That would be great. 
Um, well, a couple of reviews with no questions. One that I really like says, best, Star Tre- best Trek podcast I've ever listened to. Sorry, Dr- Greatest Discovery. Y'all tried. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The, the people behind Greatest Discovery are going to be, that's going to come as a great blow to them. Deeply hurtful. One last question before we get to the episode, though, Adam. All right. This is a question I've, I feel like we've gotten a lot over the years. Who would get the drunk Shimoda for for encounter at Farpoint? Well, that was a long time ago, <laughs> Ben. Yeah, I, I don't think I've rewatched that episode since we reviewed it for the Greatest Generation. So it's kind of tough to tough to throw myself back there. Maybe I'll give it to the aliens that they tried to build the starbase out of for being so horny. Because like the first thing they do is have alien sex. When they uh, when they like come out out of the ground and and fly off into space, they put oh, their yeah. nasty little tentacles together. You get the pink and the blue. That's how you know. <laughs> yeah, you can tell one's a boy and one's a girl. The, that type <laughs> of alien <laughs> practices very strict gender norms. Yeah, that that was a that was an alien gender reveal party when they when they <laughs> popped up out of the ground. I mean, that's a Q episode, so it's hard not to say that it's Q. He's clearly having the most fun at at our crew's expense, right? Yeah, that's true. So uh, that might be a cop-out answer, but from what I remember, that is not an episode I go back and rewatch. I wonder if you're rewatching the show and picking your favorites. No one ever goes back to that first episode, do they? Nobody's like, Encounter in Farpoint, a classic. They really had the show figured out at that point. (laughs) (laughs) People only watch Encounter at at Farpoint academically, I think. Yeah, yeah. They watch it because they're going to start a Star Trek podcast and in watching it realize it has to be a comedy Star Trek podcast. It it may be if you're watching Encounter at Farpoint that the episode is just a warning to other episodes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Well, Adam, this was fun. Uh, Do you want to get into the DS9 episode we came to talk about today? Oh, look at the time. Uh, We better... Uh, we better get on into it, Ben. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 6, Episode 21, The Reckoning. Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. Feels like this kind of, of episode, Ben. It's a schisms type episode where uh-huh. where people will be talking about and are then subject to... <laughs> The Reckoning. <laughs> what mean The Reckoning, people will ask. Yeah, I th- I'm, I'm just glad that they resisted the temptation to spell it W-R-E-C-K-O-N-I-N-G. Yeah, so am I. It seems like that may have been up on the, on the cork board when they were in the writer's right. room, right? it's important we get all this war stuff out of the way early like give us the mclaughlin group issue one state of the war update first so we can be done with it and never think of it again this is that scene yeah remind us of the context that this is taking place in but don't bog us down with it all through the episode and uh it's it's actually some interesting context because we know that beta Z fell to the dominion recently and now they're talking about the idea that Beta Z is a supply line point in the uh, Dominion effort to expand their influence in the Alpha Quadrant. 
we know that for important Betazoid rituals, the tradition is to is to do them nude. Right. Now, what my theory presupposes is that Beta Zeds also fight nude. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that probably they're just looking for every excuse they can find to eat cum leaves and get naked. You know, I think it's a very libertine people. The nude fighters of Beta Z are very formidable because you can't, you just can't hold on to them. They're always wriggling <laughs> out of your hands. Yeah, they they uh, they grease themselves up with uh, with KY jelly. <laughs> Very sexual brand of fighting, I think. Well, let's just hope they can get the job done. Yeah, I mean, we never get like actual maps of this, but I think it's interesting to to think of the way these planets are arrayed and how how supply lines might exist in a space context. It seems mm-hmm. like space is so big that you know. Uh, it's not the same as what it would be on the ground where like a supply line means a railroad or not a mountain that is impassable. You really get a sense for the defensive priorities of a Starfleet when you hear that uh, the Jem'Hadar have a supply line near Beta Z that puts Vulcan at risk. These are like foundational worlds. Yeah. And then uh, and then we're celebrating the victory that the Romulans had <laughs> over the vape lords of the Benzite system. <laughs> like, boy, good thing Benzite is safe. <laughs> Do you think that now that the Romulans control Benzar, they're going to chill out a lot? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Like, we're going to meet some, like, extremely laid-back Romulans in Season 7. Like, yeah, you know, I, I was the uh, I was the provisional governor of Benzar for a little while. And anyways, I've, it's kind of changed my perspective on a lot of things. You know, last year, the Romulans didn't really have a smell, but uh, now they smell like cotton candy for some reason. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah, what's that about? Anyways, there's some there's some uh, mention from Odo, like, yeah, we, we better hope that the Romulans ease up their iron grip on Benzar when this is all over, because it's pretty un- unusual for them to uh, conquer territory and then cede it later. It's not really their way. Were you ever in a playground fight where the two fighters had braces and they both agreed, like, no hits to the face? <laughs> we can't. We can't do. We can't fuck up these braces. Do you think a, a Benzar and a Jem'Hadar are like, all right, I will. I will not grab your vape if you do yeah, not grab yeah. my my straw. Well, I think anybody that's seen my mouth knows that I never had braces. But mm. uh, but I'm also thinking that the surface of Benzar probably nobody <laughs> has a vape because it's it's an entirely hot boxed planet. You know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Like they take the vape with them when they're when they're outside of their atmosphere, but but those those guys have it going 24/7 365 on Benzar. You Benzar's. just saved us so many emails then, <laughs> by by coming in there with that fact. That's a real fact. That's why the Benzites take their vape pens with them. They don't need them on Benzar. Yeah. Do you think that they like uh, hide them in like a you know inside of a hard drive chassis when they're going through TSA to get into the federation I do I really do <laughs> they, they've um, got some complicated works <laughs> <laughs> after the meeting Kira and Odo are left behind and they're it's sort of a canoodling scene 
I uh, I blacked out during the scene. <laughs> I I came to about twenty minutes from the end of the episode. So you're gonna yeah. have to carry us from here. Okay. Yeah. This is uh, <laughs> just uh, just you know talking about what a bummer Odo is in meetings, and he says that that's mostly cover that he has to provide for himself, so people won't realize how head over heels in love he is with his new GF, Major Kira. If they only saw under the conference room table (laughs) they'd see what a giant charger I've got under there (laughs) it's ribbed for her pleasure but like honestly you can specify exactly what you want if anyone like drops a pen and goes underneath the table I'll I'll, like shrink it back up I won't be rocking a giant dick under there it's just for me it's my little secret (laughs) it's fucking delightful look like the the joke the joke that that is about me is that I don't like seeing Kira with anyone else. But mm-hmm. the seriousness behind that that I want to ask you about is that I feel like this show did better about gross cute with Dax and Worf than they currently seem to be doing with Kira and Odo. Why do you think that might be? I mean, it is weird to see Kira call somebody schmoopy, but... I also think that this is the classic Sam and Diane problem where it kind of ruins the tension Mm -hmm. in scenes when you cut it out entirely. And I think that also maybe partly owes to how they went about cutting that tension. You want to live in a world where where Dawson is chasing Joey for the entire series. <laughs> but here's Dawson. I want to live in a world where Dawson takes no for an answer, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but now uh, Odo's finally caught the car. Yeah. He doesn't know what to do with it. Yeah. We cut to some Star Trek caves where Captain Sisko and, for some reason, Jake... Why he's there... The reasons are nil, because for some reason, Jake Sisko... It's me, Jake! ...have headed to check out a uh, an archaeological dig that, um... And Kira's there with them as well. This is a, a important ancient Bajoran artifact that has been discovered under some temple somewhere. And, uh, and a lot of questions have been asked about, like, why are you leaving the station during wartime to go on a spelunking edition, Captain? to very minimal satisfaction and uh, Jake is here to kind of pick up the torch of why the fuck are we here it's a long way to come to see some old ruins he's kind of an emissary hater right like he doesn't he doesn't like the emissary stuff hey try to look like you're enjoying yourself your father needs this I like the background they give to for some reason Jake later about why he might feel this way about a mission like this but for now he just seems like a petulant bored kid being taken on an errand to the carpet store you know yeah do you think that they were going for jaded journalist and it just kind of didn't fit the way it was written they give him one line of dialogue connecting it to journalism but it's it's just not even necessary i just think he's too young and too new to his journalism storyline for us to buy that he's already like super over it right 
and seen everything the way a journalist character can sometimes be written. Bajor's oldest living archaeologist is the guy showing them around the Star Trek caves. <laughs> and uh, he, he gestures to some of these inscriptions and he's like, some of these inscriptions are as old as I am. It's been a great deal of work, but we do it gladly. Excavating the holy city is a privilege. And then he comes around a corner and he's like, uh, some of them, you're not going to believe this, are even older. And he <laughs> takes them to sort of like the end exhibit of this thing. It's this uh, rounded off sort of... Uh, Stone tablet? I don't know why I am instinctually wanting to avoid the references that are so obvious here. But like there is a very clear like Moses story and... and yeah breaking of the tablet situation here but yeah it is very clearly a stone tablet and it's got a bunch of writing on it yeah, you mean breaking of the tablet as in the uh, commandments 11 through 15 that right. get broken in the history of the world Oi. i like that the tablet has the eiffel tower drawn on it that's fun <laughs> cisco makes a crucial mistake uh, in any archaeological expedition or museum context you can't touch the display and as soon as he does he is punished for it he's immediately swarmed by the prophets who threaten yeah. the reckoning they say that the circle is complete they say that the reckoning will begin and it is all cisco's fault cisco keeps asking what the reckoning is and no one will tell him no that's the, the, the prophet's way They're, they never get to the point now the point is they fit cisco for the jerk cable and then they send him <laughs> on his way yeah it's a good stunt I, I like the like cut to special effects stunt in yep. the same shot like it goes by so fast you can't even really see what happens I feel like when you have a profit experience, the profits are typically re represented by people, like all the people you know. And in this profit experience, it's they're represented by the people in the cave. <laughs> so the super old monk archaeologist is among them. Even the stone tablet has like googly eyes and a big mouth. <laughs> Hi, the Cisco. <laughs> I'm here too. Would you like to see how a law is made? <laughs> Follow me, it'll be fun. Yeah, this looks bad. Like when you when you're jerk cabled into a bunch of rocks, those rocks are not forgiving. Uh, it is unclear whether or not the prophets will be forgiving as we go into theme song. Mm. If Cisco were admitted to a hospital on Bajor, would his hospital bracelet have uh, Cisco, comma, the? <laughs> Has his name on file? Uh, uh, they, they, it would have, like, his blood type and the fact that he's the emissary, so this may not be that he's passed out, but rather that he's having a vision. Right. Very complicated goings-on at a Bajoran hospital where the Cisco is involved. This is a setup that is kind of familiar on Deep Space Nine, which is there's an artifact and it needs to be decoded. And this episode goes in a pretty different direction from previous episodes of the kind. Tin Man. But uh, that one way that's true is that he brings the actual artifact back up to the station. He does not take a scan of it and recreate it in the hollow suite. He's up in the lab with Dax, and uh, she's doing bits on artifacts, and it's the real <laughs> artifact. She's doing bits on the real thing. 
It's got to be incredibly hurtful for the artifact at this point. Yeah. Hey, what are you making fun of me for? <laughs> I'm just here to teach you about Bajoran religion. I'm stuck in that lousy cave for 30,000 years, and now this? What gives? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so very slowly but surely, the artifact is transforming into a southern lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, one thing occurs here, uh, and it happens in just a flash, Band, but um, it's it's kind of become a, a harbinger of doom on this show. One thing that needs no translation is the number of story and written by credits for this episode. We get a fairly full screen of them here yeah. during the setup for the ep, and uh, I think you know what's to come thereafter, in my opinion. I think there's two credits for story by and two credits for written by. Which, and they're all different. Yeah. An episode that needed a lot of hammering to get put into shape. Right. This begins a series of scenes where not a lot happens. There's some scanning of the stone taking place. There's some talking about the scanning of the stone. There's talking about why the stone is even there. Why are you pointing that tricorder at me? <laughs> hey, you're not going to stick that thing back there, are you? Oh, no! <laughs> hey, warm that thing up first. Now you want to stick it under my tongue? No can do, buddy! <laughs> After uh, his moment in the artifact scanning room, Cisco takes a walk in the promenade and tries to just drop in on a Bajoran church service. Yeah, think, thinking about filling up the tablet-shaped hole in his heart. Right. And uh, he is uh, interrupted by another religious figure, Worf radios to him that Kai Wynn is headed to the station, and uh, he face palms into the scene <laughs> where he greets her, right in front of a, uh, a Bajoran uh, religious character, too. Like, I don't, I don't know if this guy's a Vedic or what, but uh, if you were standing in front of a Catholic priest and somebody was like, hey, uh, you're about to meet the Pope, and you did that? <laughs> what is the priest going to think? I mean, uh, you could really make an interesting merch item here by sawing off one of Cisco's arms and then, uh, <laughs> putting the other one, the other hand to his face and then selling. That is a oddly crippled bust that you can buy on the Star Trek site now. <laughs> I don't understand the Picard facepalm merch item, Ben. I don't either, but our friend Manu Sadia has one. Why doesn't that bust have two arms? I don't know. I mean, I guess busts often don't, but the fact that that one doesn't is creepy as hell. <laughs> it's super creepy. Ben, this episode gets a lot better in my mind when I think of Kai Wynn as the Belloc of the ep and Cisco as the indie. Mm. But the episode never, never makes that kind of case. She actually has like... Unlike Bellic, a pretty legit grievance, which is like, yeah. hey, you like came down to our planet and took a priceless ancient relic of our religion and didn't ask anyone if that was okay? What the fuck? There are a lot of reasons to dislike Kai Wen, but one of them is not that she sides with the Nazis. <laughs> um, like... I wish that she had just uh, just said the thing that we're all thinking. Last time we found a relic like this, you scanned it, and everyone was super cool with that. Why didn't you do that this time? 
You've angered the prophets by taking the tablet from Bajor. Because there's a conversation to be had there, right? Like, oh, well, when I touched this, it knocked me across the room after giving me a vision. So maybe it's like an orb. I think you're spot on with that observation, but it's because there are a handful of examples that qualify as why didn't you do this last time? And to identify one of them on the top, I think cripples the rest of the episode. It's a house of cards on a wobbly card table. Admiral Beltbuckle has also been consulted and uh, agrees with Wynne. So they've got to get the, the relic back to the Bajorans pretty quickly. Admiral Beltbuckle admonishes Cisco. He's like, uh, now, I really disapprove of your activity here. I hope you aren't expecting me to keep an eye on you at any point the rest of the episode. <laughs> As yeah. you make very important decisions. And then he's like, oh, I'm getting uh, somebody's trying to connect to on three-way to this transmission. Oh, look at that. It's the relic. Hey, why doesn't anybody ask me what I want to do? <laughs> You're all talking over my head like I'm not even here. <laughs> It's hard being a relic. <laughs> it's not easy being buried for 30,000 years under a temple. Why are there so many songs about temples? And what's buried underground? Tablets or visions? Cisco's and prophets? <laughs> That Admiral Belt Buckle's like, um, anyways, I gotta go, uh, but uh, get that thing back to the surface uh, quickly. Uh, Admiral <laughs> Belt Buckle has the good sense to stay far away from this episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, chalk this up as one of the rare times that I think you and I are both on Kai Wynn's side on this. Yeah, yeah. Kai Wynn's the hero of the episode, so this goes the villain. You're sending it back, and I was just starting to have fun. Dax is, uh, is kind of... She's been rolling her eyes at this assignment the entire time, but Cisco comes down to kind of light a fire under her ass. I need these inscriptions translated. And I have to send it back in the morning, so do it quick. And uh, and she's got, like, some of it translated, and uh, <laughs> the news is not great, Adam. It's real Ghostbusters-y. You yeah. Know, like, uh, Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. Given the tone of the rest of the inscriptions, I would bet on horrible suffering. The the upshot is the uh, is the the gateway to the temple is going to be destroyed, and uh, and they're interpreting the gateway as being Deep Space Nine. I think playing the part of the non-religious person in this episode instead of O'Brien is Dax. And it feels unusual to me for her to be like this at him, given yeah. that they are sort of best friends and he is the emissary. She's known this from the start. She knows how important this shit is to him. I feel like uh, she doesn't often give him this much shit about that. Yeah. Does O'Brien not appear at all in this episode? No. If one guy had been knew what being uh, taken by a power wraith would feel like, <laughs> it's him and his relationship to Keiko, right? Yeah. His absence is felt very keenly, especially in the next scene, which is Odo, Worf, and Bashir getting together to have a hang, except for it's three guys who I don't really think of as friends. Hey, guys. Uh, do you want to grab... The world's tiniest table outside of Quark's. <laughs> Does this count as a patio? 
what they're doing? Like, like sitting is, outside of Quarks? This is what passes for uh, for outdoor dining on Deep Space yeah. Nine. I yeah. wonder. I wonder if it feels at all like like when you go to the Caesar's Palace Mall and they like the the mall is like fake outside. Right. Yeah. It's got like the clouds on top. Uh-huh. <laughs> Quark should really give it some of that flavor. Yeah, the Venice Canal inside the casino. Um, yeah, there should yeah. be like more silk plants everywhere. I think. Right. They're kind of talking over this issue of like, do you believe or do you not? And Odo is in a new relationship with a woman who has a great deal of faith that he does not share. And that's a, uh, a an interesting puzzle to solve for a new boyfriend. But they don't really solve it. <laughs> I feel like this scene exists to introduce the experience of the first banger and nothing more. Right. Yeah, like there's like the thing about how business has been slow at Quarks. There's a lot of doom and gloom. But, you know, I guess it's connected to the way the war is going. If there's one man at that table who knows what it's like to have very strong spiritual beliefs, it's Worf. And yeah. Worf says, says very little. And to be in a relationship where the other person doesn't. Like, he could right. speak to it from Kira's side in an interesting yeah. way. And I think that that would be an interesting use of this scene. Like, have have the scene be about that and then get the banger. Uh, the wormhole is winking open yeah. and closed for some reason. I love the the look of this banger because it is not the super high impact banger of a our ship has been hit. Like the camera movements are much slower than that. It's like this mm-hmm. like rumbly, bassy, like earthquake style banger. It's very specific. Right. But it's not gonna it's not gonna put a cramp in Odo's new relationship. He's still going on lunch dates with his girlfriend. Watch me eat. This begins a period of like an hour on Deep Space Nine Twitter where every post is like, Did you feel it? Banger. <laughs> Banger guys. The app didn't go off Banger. though. So it must have been below the threshold for the app, or is the app not working? I did it knock anything over in your quarters? It didn't knock anything over in my quarters. My quarters were fine. <laughs> My furniture has a very wide base. <laughs> Nothing was in danger of falling over in there. I sloshed out of my bucket, but that's fine. Do you think Odo just stays over at Kira's all the time? There's no way she's going to his place. What would their bed look like if they got shacked up? Is it mattress on her side and, like, kiddie pool on his? Are they having weird jungle gym sex? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they're taking it slow. I, it's hard to know how much time has passed since they made it official, right? If Kira were truly banging Odo, she would no longer believe in God. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> I just went through five things I can't say. <laughs> I'm really stuck here. It doesn't work like that. Maybe it should. Kira's eating an entire package of mixed fruit. Mm-hmm. Odo doesn't have the faith that Kira does, but but he's a supportive listener and that's what you want to be when you're in a committed relationship right you don't have to believe the same things and you can respect someone even if you don't share their beliefs up to a point and that's what's being shown here 
But uh, for all of their being happy despite all of the scary shit that's going on, that's not how everyone's feeling. Uh, Kai Wynn is up in Cisco's office ripping him a new asshole over how bad things are getting on Bajor because there's like tornadoes and flooding and all kinds of all kinds of terrible natural disasters befalling Bajor. Cisco's like if I if I wanted a weather report, Kai Win, I'd turn on KBJN. <laughs> <laughs> but she is attributing this directly to the fact that uh, that Cisco has stolen this artifact. Cisco should be in jail for this. He just took the artifact. Yeah. And what's clear to me is that he didn't replace the artifact with a of equal size and weight bag of sand. <laughs> Kai Wynn's like, do you know how many boulders are just rolling around Bajor right now? <laughs> 10,000 boulders, do you Cisco. Know, do you know how many darts are just flying out of walls? <laughs> It's a mess down there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, she makes some good points, too, right? Like, this has a very ominous comp- comparison to things that the Cardassians did when they occupied our planet. And that is going to de- lead to a diplomatic incident. And she shoves a uh, iPad across the table at him with a an order from Shakar to return the relic, which is proof positive that Bajor is... All pretty much in agreement on this. If Kai Wynn and Shakar agree on something, it means Cisco fucked up. That's a bad look. So he promises. It's on the next flight. It'll be it'll be there in the morning. That means Dax is going to have to, you know, work overtime. But, but, but fortunately, she has done the thing that we wondered why they didn't just do in the first place, which is take hollow recordings of it. That's not going to satisfy like the real thing. Trust me. <laughs> This relic fucks! You want a rock-hard relic, you only come to me! Scan me when I'm fully erect! Then see if you could translate what I mean. This conversation is the first of several we have until the end of the episode, which goes something like, this is what I believe the prophets want. No, this is what I believe the prophets want. The, The unprovable religious prescriptions that have... Right, and uh, and Kai Wen just doesn't believe it. So the you know, and and she's willing to make his life unpleasant enough uh, that he has to capitulate to what she wants. There's a conversation between Kira and Odo up in ops about some war stuff, and uh, it's clear that this uh, this relic business is really is really giving him a headache. Kira suggests that his headache will go away the second the Kai leaves the station, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. <laughs> that was great. She has some uh, real but- insight into why he and the Kai have such static, though. She's jealous of you and of your relationship with the prophets. Well, this is one of my favorite parts of this episode. I think it's the it's the best written. It's the most insightful about these characters, as you say. This is the narcissism of minor differences. This is you guys both occupying the same space at the same time when ordinarily only one of you would have this kind of sway. Right. Like, try to understand. Kai Wen thought she was going to be the top of the mountain here, and now she's got to share it with, with the you. likes of you. And you're not even Pajoran. Right. Later, Kira meets up with Kai Wen on the promenade in order to see what side the Kai is on. Right. Like in an an interesting continuation of this conversation. The Kai is, she's happy that the the relic is coming back and also suspects that, you know, Kira 
uh, is always happy to see the Kai lose. And I don't think that the that's really like what Kira's angle is here. No, and it's a scene that feels strangely abbreviated too. Yeah. Cause, You're cause, really not made to draw any conclusions from any scene up until this moment. I think that what's strange about it is that the Kai always clothes her actions in the this is what's good for Bajor, I'm only doing what's right for Bajor clothing. But Kira knows for a fact that that's almost never actually what the Kai is doing. It's always self-serving in some way. And I wish I wish there had been like some call out of that in this moment because like i think kira's right that the kai is like jealous and a little resentful of cisco for co-opting some of her shine as head religious figure but also the kai is super ambitious and like there's a way to defend that right like there's a there's a version of this script where the kai says like i'm called by the prophets to to lead and that the ambition that I have is an instrument of the prophets, you know, like she could, she could easily defend herself in a way that very religious people do sometimes, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really feel like the episode takes that up. Her position is also diminished by Cisco's because she says like, she's never talked to the prophets the way Cisco has. Yeah. And that, that always makes her feel and act less than, Mm-hmm. Even though she feels like like she's the realist of the two, she's she's true Bajoran, right? Like she's never gonna feel equal in the eyes of the prophets, and that's really put a great big chip on her shoulder. Yeah, she's super sensitive about how overlooked she feels. We both serve the prophets. There is no higher calling. For some reason, Jake enters Ben Cisco's quarters, and this is the companion scene to the one that happens in the cave. He tells his dad that he gets scared every time a tablet appears (laughs) in his dad's presence because something bad always happens to his dad during. Right. And he's totally right. Yeah, he keeps showing up on infirmary beds with, you know, crazy mental processes running rampant. And uh, it's freaky. I don't want it to happen again. Does Cisco sleep in a full-size bed? Is the question that I had in in the scene that follows, because you see Cisco rolling around, he can't sleep. It seems like kind of a dorm bed situation. Yeah, it is a tiny bed. I wonder what he does when uh, Cassidy is over. If the captain's rocking a trundle, that that can't happen. <laughs> That's a bad look, Captain. Or maybe yeah. they're one of those couples that has like separate beds or even separate bedrooms. Are they shacked up? I don't really get the sense that they're shacked up. Yeah, I mean, where's her shit? <laughs> like, there should be some of it around his quarters, right? Yeah, you would think. There should be signs of Cassidy. Right, but there are none. Mm-hmm. He can't sleep, so he goes down to the relic lab. Oh, you're up too? Hey, you want to just sit and talk? I was just about to open up a bottle of Canar. Somebody left it in here. I'm a good listener. I will listen to you. What, what are you doing with your hand now? <laughs> oh, I killed it! And we find out that the relic was full of farts the whole time. Very gassy relic. Uh, there's, much like the Encounter at Farpoint episode, a little bit of pink and a little bit of blue. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And it goes up into... 
into the ceiling. You do not want to make the relic part of your gender reveal party, I don't think. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what kind of junk your baby's going to have. It has no bearing on what your baby's gender identity will be, but you're trying to counteract a social shift that you don't understand. <laughs> Maybe I deserve to be thrown against a wall. <laughs> Maybe I'm a disgusting performance of your retrograde ideas. Later, it's like Officer Odo and Dax interviewing Cisco about what happened. And the truth doesn't help. Yeah. Cisco's like, yeah, I woke up and I threw that tablet against the wall. I, Something inside me made me do it. <laughs> and it felt good. It's the like crime scene investigation that like doesn't have an episode after it because right. the guy confesses to exactly what happens in the moment. He said the profit part out loud. Yeah. And uh it's also like kind of one of those things of of like well we don't we don't arrest like rich and powerful people for doing bad shit cuz everybody's like you know no we believe you. We're giving you the benefit of the doubt that for some reason you destroyed this priceless artifact. What we're trying to understand is why. This episode is so focused on the one point on the horizon that it must end. Mm -hmm. It does not consider the reality of the situations on our way there. And this is one of them, right? Yeah. Like, Kai wins should citizens arrest him for this? <laughs> Instead, he asks her to extend the trust that the prophets told him wrecking this relic was a good idea. And why would they do that? I wish I had an answer for you. This is another... Kai Wynn versus Captain Sisko, you're just going to have to believe me religious argument that cannot be resolved. Morn, 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 sweet, morn, 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 you need everybody, morn, stop, hammer time. And uh, we don't have time to resolve it, Adam, because there is a lot of Keiko lightning happening down on the promenade, and this time the Keiko lightning is hitting... Major Kira. There is no Kira. There is only Zul from this point forward, Ben. Indeed. She's uh, got she's got blue eyes. It's like real like big trouble in Little China vibes yeah. for for a lot of the rest of this episode because it's like the wind blowing in her hair, the blue eyes, the the Keiko lightning. She's like Storm from X Men a little bit. <laughs> Where did all these newspapers come from on the promenade? Into, yeah. He's just blowing around. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, this is a bad part of the promenade. It's reckoning time, Ben. Uh, but there's got to be a corresponding evil to fight. Right. And that's what Zul is saying. Kira has been inhabited by a prophet, which we know because Cisco tells the security guys that show up not to shoot her. <laughs> I know this is an unusual order coming from me. <laughs> That's my girlfriend up there. <laughs> I agree with the captain. She is waiting for a Pyrrhaith named Costamogen, Adam. The keymaster. <laughs> the evil one, as, uh, right. as Kai Wen refers to it. And uh, it does show up in the form of, for some reason, Jake. Let it begin. It's me, Jake. This scene shouldn't have worked, uh, but I enjoyed it very much. Yeah. Sirak Lofton with the giant uh, red eyes. I mean, we know that when you evacuate Deep Space Nine, Sirak Lofton is getting left behind every time. Yeah, so no question. It's no surprise that he shows up, but the, yeah, the, 
the contacts that they put him in, the the like crazy veins that they put on his forehead are a lot of fun. I love that this is another like low-key fuck you to Kai Wen because she looks at Kira being inhabited by this pa wraith and she's like, I want to be inhabited by a pa wraith. That's never happened to me. Like <laughs> All of this super spiritual shit is going on all around her and none of it is inside her. None of it is, is coming out of her. It's all at her. Yeah, and... And Prophet Kira won't even like talk to her. Like when when Cisco says something to Kira, she yeah. like turns and answers. But when Kai Win like runs after her, she <laughs> just gets ignored. Yeah. So this turns into a showdown where there's like blue energy coming out of Kira's chest oh, and orange energy coming out of Jake's chest oh, and a big ball of energy in the middle. And uh, this is going to explode the station if they're not careful. It's real Wild West energy. Yeah. This is an in- intense scene. Um, there has been some suggestion that there may be a technological way out, though, which is flood the promenade with chroniton radiation. It's time travel. We know that that's something that the prophets slash wormhole aliens are allergic to, so it'll, it'll force them to clear out if we do that. And Cisco against... Basically, everyone else uh, who's weighing in on this is saying, no, we've got to let this play out. We've got to see who wins the reckoning, because if the prophets win the reckoning, it's going to be a thousand years of golden age for Bajor, which anybody who's played like a civilization game <laughs> knows is, is awesome, an awesome deal. But also, if the pot wraith wins, it's like, it's, it's the end, right? It's kind of Bajoran Ragnarok. And the conflict behind the conflict is the sacrifice, right? Yeah. It's Ben Sisko looking at his son, and it's Odo looking at Kira, and Odo feeling like he can sacrifice her for this because this is what Kira would really want. Right. And Ben Sisko struggling with the idea of his son being sacrificed for this purpose. And hanging over all of that, the station blowing up might mean that the wormhole aliens stop preventing the dominion from coming through the wormhole which would which would be really bad for everyone in the alpha quadrant you can tell that odo and cisco feel differently about this because odo's like just laying back in the cut watching <laughs> and captain cisco is going extremely high voice dad the promise will not let anything happen to him how do you know that i know yeah. He really goes up an octave when, when he's being uh, a loving parent, and this scene is no different. They are evacuating the station as fast as they can, and Cisco orders everyone but him, Kira, and Jake to leave the promenade. And uh, shockingly, it is Kai Wynn that uh, runs to a computer somewhere and takes the technological intervention. She She punches the flood the flood the promenade with chronotons button. Everyone leaves ops and they're like, okay, so I'm not going to turn the screensaver on. We're just going <laughs> to, we're going to walk out of here. We don't right? need the like password to get back in thing set up. No. What the fuck were they thinking? Yeah. Kai Win just steps up to a station and, and releases the chronotons. How would she even know to do that? I think she was there when Dax was talking <laughs> about it on the promenade. That has to be it. But... Knowing how to do it and knowing to do it are two different things. I think that's my main point. Kai Wynn seems like someone who has a granddaughter set the clock on her VCR for her. (laughs) 
Yeah. I don't think she knows the sequence of buttons to launch the chronotons. You know that Kai Wynn's left turn signal is on no matter what is going on when she's driving her car. Her Bajoran Buick is just <laughs> a great big land yacht. You know, when a, the hood on a Bajoran Buick has got uh, little grooves on it. <laughs> little louvers. Hey, this is a nice spacious car. I'm sure glad you arranged for me to come back to the planet so I could ride around in it with you. <laughs> kind of feel like the Pope back here. <laughs> oh, I guess that I guess you're more the Pope than me. Amazing that they were able to glue me back together so well. Anyways, mind if I smoke? Jake was also ready to die, right? He was. We catch up with him in the uh, in the infirmary. He's gonna be laid up for a few days. I guess he was losing the energy fight. I thought that this was a scene where they should have discussed what Wynn did. Like, it would be interesting for Cisco to say, like, actually, Kai Wynn kind of saved your life. I was, uh, I was also ready for to let that thing play out, and she wasn't. Right, and how would it feel to have, for some reason, Jake indebted to Kai Wynn right. when when you, Ben Sisko, have such a rocky relationship with her. That would have injected some interesting conflict into the family. But this is a conflict-free family. Right. And this is a scene about them just expressing their love to each other and Jake expressing what it feels like to have a pa wraith inside you and <laughs> uh, how much he welcomed death in that experience. He did the right thing. Kira's like, there are times when I would also welcome death with Odo inside me. (laughs) The little death, that is. (laughs) Sometimes I welcome it over and over and over again. It is hard to get that guy tired. Kira leaves a prayer service and uh, Odo has been outside waiting. Kira doesn't feel equal to the honor that the prophets gave her in making her Zul. Yeah. Yeah. She's got complicated feelings about what just happened. Yeah. I did th- think it was cute the way she uh, unhooked his leash from the uh, bike stand that she'd tied him up at. Yeah. She hit triangle to unlasso her horse. <laughs> You're a good boy. Uh, she shows some gratitude to Odo for uh, respecting her beliefs enough to allow her to possibly die during. And then she walks Kai Win to the transport. And uh, they talk about the kind of they kind of post game what happened for the first time since it happened. And Kai Win is pretty pleased with herself having saved Bajor from the reckoning. And Kira's like, you didn't necessarily save it from anything. There are two farts floating around somewhere. Like they're not. They didn't die. They just left. And I'm not sure if even the prophets know what that will mean for Bajor. Yeah. They didn't fumigate the station for those farts. <laughs> yeah. You're going to need to do that. They didn't fumigate the station. Those farts fumigated the station themselves. <laughs> Kai Wynn does that thing that uh, that firmly plants her on the side of hateable person because she did a thing that ended up turning out okay and just cannot get over the fact that she's not getting the gratitude she thinks she deserves. Yeah. She's like, Kira, did you not see what I did? Why am I not being carried off the station on people's (laughs) shoulders? It's insane. I prevented the destruction of this station. I like this moment for the hateability of Kai Wynn. 
Yeah, the I mean that's the the fun of that character is her hateability, and they give it to us so seldom in this episode. They they give it only in this one scene, I think. Right. Did you like the episode, Adam? You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. I liked it more as we talked about it than I did when I saw it. This episode, the problem is this episode is fat. Yeah. It is so fat. And by that, I mean, we just get a ton of scenes where exposition happens. And then we talk about the exposition that just happened. Yeah. Yeah. Like there are so many like interstitial scenes that do nothing but set up the next action. And it just feels fairly unmotivated and meandering. As we go through it, there are a lot of interesting questions this episode asks, but it takes a conversation like this, I think, to really sift through them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that one thing I like about this episode is that it feels like it's injecting some new chaos into the story. But it mm-hmm. also, but it kind of does that in in like a very old time TV way, which is setting up conflict meticulously all episode long, and only to snatch it away before it's actually resolved. Right. So it, it kind of feels like it's in this like middle place between modern television and old time television, where it can't quite decide whether it wants to reset all the all the pieces at the end of the episode. I had read that there was an instinct to make this more of a haunted house type story, Hmm. make it more of a horror film feeling thing. Wow. I'm glad they didn't do that, but I wonder... Yeah, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten the uh, the Muppetized relic in that case. I wasn't joking when I was making references to Indiana Jones films. I feel like... That is a theme and a story language that would be really welcome here. Mm-hmm. Is those kind of conflicts and it's and they're touched on a little bit, but yeah, I think TNG was more more conversant in that kind of right. style of storytelling. Asaka is waking. Well, do you want to see if we have any priority one messages, Adam? Got to do that. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, we got a couple of Priority One messages here of a personal nature. The first one is from Dennis from Minneapolis, and it's to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. Hello! In the past, I asked about your favorite loaf and the erotic content of Sweet programs. This time, <laughs> I have a question. About ankylosaurs. Ankylosaurs. <laughs> Imagine you're the symbiont inside Dax. Which Deep Space Nine character would you want to get all up inside of next? And then in the parentheses it says, Please set aside any world-building rules that might interfere. <laughs> Thanks, you're the best. Wow. Um, I feel like if you go with... Somebody like Quark, you're probably like pretty low likelihood that you're going to get like bumped or injured in any way because Quark doesn't get into like fist fights or, or anything that much. Like he's 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 a busy guy, but he's he lives a mostly fairly leisurely lifestyle. So maybe Quark is who I would go with. I think I would get too hot inside of Quark because he wears all those layers. Oh, yeah. Thick layers. <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're also like, like he's eating like bugs and stuff, and so presumably you're getting like umbilical chewed up bugs. Yeah. That doesn't sound good. I don't know. If you're an ankylosaur, ankylosaur. that might be your favorite meal. Who knows? Maybe that's what you like. I mean, if you've got the ankylosaur, ankylosaur. just out in like a, like a tray that newborns are put in, <laughs> what do you feed them mm. when they're out of the womb? Uh, probably like baby food. <laughs> yeah. I think the most comfortable character in all of DS9 is going to be Odo. Because he could, uh, he could, right. he could stretch out to accommodate you. Oh yeah. Or, or he could hug you tight if that's what you want. You know how like goldfish grow to the size of the bowl that they're in. You know, like they get uh-huh. they get bigger and bigger as their as their environment gets bigger. Do you think that the ankylosaur, having no practical constraints, would just keep growing inside Odo, and he'd eventually have to be like a fifty foot tall man to accommodate his giant ankylosaur? I bet. I I want to believe that that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. He just gets gossamer thin, but but just very, very large. (laughs) Adam, our second priority one message is from 39-year-old Marta, and it's to 40-year-old Marta. And it goes like this. Your milestone birthday didn't turn out how you planned. But taking the celebration to Zoom was the only honorable choice. In the face of an invisible enemy, a warrior stays home and saves lives. By the way, if you decide you want to forget this whole thing ever happened, (laughs) hit me up. I know a guy. (laughs) Sounds like Kern is referring to a specific doctor on Deep Space Nine that he knows. I know. You know, I've, uh, I've I've pivoted away from ice pick <laughs> and into a form of lobotomy that comes in a convenient glass. <laughs> like all of my favorite things. You can use a, a high-pressure stream of urine, and it's just as sharp as a scalpel. It's a lot like a water pick for your brain. <laughs> Bashir is actually like one of the only people on Deep Space Nine that new Kern ever actually met, right? Because he was there when he woke up. He does know a guy. If you're looking to eliminate witnesses, I think you start with Bashir. (laughs) Well, if you'd like to leave a P1 uh, on the show, you know what to do. You head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message. Both of which go a long, long way towards supporting the ongoing production of The Greatest Generation. True indeed. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! Yeah, I think I'm going to give it to Kai Wynn. Just being told to leave the station and she just teeters off, takes a left when she was told to make a right, <laughs> uh, just steps up to a station she doesn't understand, probably <laughs> has never used before, Yeah. Uh, and just sees where her fingers take her. <laughs> You must believe the truth of that moment for this episode to work for you. Yeah. I think it all falls apart if you don't believe she can get this done. Uh, and I think just the insanity of that moment yeah. falls on her shoulders. I think I'm just going to mark the occasion by <laughs> declaring her my drunk Shimoda. She might not deserve it, but I think it. 
I think it needs to go into the record as something crazy. I have a fast rewrite, which is Dax comes down with like a pad or a tricorder that's like, this is the trigger. Like, let's do this now. Yeah. You know? I like that a lot. If there was a foolproof object instead of a big, complicated computer screen, it would make it a lot more plausible. Plus, it makes something to uh, to fight over right? in a fun way. Yeah. It would be fun to see Louise Fletcher, like, bonk Dax on the head. I wonder if they ever thought about uh, putting a paw wraith inside Louise, Louise Fletcher. Mm. That would have been fun. It's mm. an interesting idea, Adam. That's my rewrite. <laughs> we'll see if they ever do anything with it. Uh, my drunk Shimoda is Kira for having a business hotel breakfast fruit salad. No doubt. You get those red grapes in there. Yeah. The red grapes and the honeydew melon and the cantaloupe. Yeah. Give me a fucking yeah. break. You know that that honeydew melon is just filler. Nobody likes that shit. I mean, there's good honeydew melon, but it's never good in that context. It's got to be so disappointing to have better food at Crafty than what you're made to eat on camera, right? It looks like they just went to a Ralph's and got it out of the like refrigerated section in the fruits and vegetable area. And that's like such an unusual thing for this show. Like usually they do such a good job of having the food look spacey and weird or like yeah. at least an interesting cuisine like Creole. Yeah. In th- in this it's just like super generic North American business travel food. Yeah. Here is like, aren't seedless grapes great? (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, she's my drunk Shimoda for that. Yeah. Yeah. Continental breakfast. It's the Shimoda. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com slash scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. 
To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up for the next episode, Ben? I have a feeling you know, and uh, I have a feeling I'm going to tell us how we're going to be reviewing that episode by going over to the game of buttholes. Will the Prophets at Gach.biz slash game. The episode is season six, episode 22, Valiant. Jake and Nog are rescued by an elite group of Starfleet cadets on a secret mission. So, uh, for some reason, this is a Jake and Nog episode? Uh-huh. <laughs> cool. Take, I... I just never trust elite groups of Starfleet cadets. It seems like like maybe the most evil group of people in the universe are elite Starfleet cadets. Yeah, none of them are hacksaws either, No, Ben. No. Well, uh, currently, our runabout is on square 76. A couple of squares ahead is the nth degree episode. That, that of course, is the one where we do so much research. Yeah, and it's, it, the, it'll, it's the kind of research that makes people hate us. <laughs> Right, because it's never enough. Yeah. That's why we don't do research on this show. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Just calibrating the die in my hands. Giving them a good shake. There we go. Oh, Ben, you know what I've rolled? I've rolled a one. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. We're on square 77. Wow. <laughs> Nothing different's going to happen on the next episode. It's just you and me talking about an episode of Deep Space Nine. I am looking forward to that, buddy. You and me both. I also uh, am looking forward to seeing the hilarious trading cards that Bill Tilly makes about this episode. He always does that using the hashtag GreatestGen over on Twitter, where he's at BillTilly1973. Adam's on Twitter at CutForTime. I'm on there at BenjaminAHR. And it's a fun place to, uh, to interact with other friends of DeSoto, as are 
the Facebook group and the Reddit sub, and uh, there's all all kinds of great things all over the place. There's the the Wikia greatestgen.wikia.com. Cool shit. Adam Ragusia is at a Ragusia on Twitter. He, of course, is the conductor behind the symphony of sounds that are our interstitials on this show. Uh, he's also got a super hot YouTube channel. Indeed. Just as hot as they come over there. He uh, interviewed uh, J. Kenji Lopez-Alt on his channel recently, which I was delighted wow, to see. good get. Yeah. Good get, Goose. Food science nerds teaming up. It's one of the most ambitious crossover events of the century. I made a bone-in pork butt off of a Kenji Lopez episode that was the best piece of pork I've ever made in my life. Wow. I believe it. That guy knows from cooking. Name a more iconic food duo <laughs> than those two. Specifically food science, right? Yeah. They, yeah, amazing. That's great. Food science that's oriented toward making it accessible to normals, I'll say. Right. There's probably food science people that are that are equally accomplished, but they're like they're writing like textbooks for culinary schools and shit. Uh, Adam Ragusia and Kenji Lopez-Alt are, are making YouTubes that you can follow along at home. That's right. All right. <laughs> We've rambled long enough, haven't we? I think we have. Uh, thanks for all of your support of the show over at MaximumFun.org slash join. Thanks for your support by buying P1 messages at MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. Thank you for your five-star reviews. You really help elevate our show into the eyeballs that need it. Yeah. Thank you. And that'll wrap it up from here. Till next week, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine that I'm hoping is more like Space Camp than not. <laughs> Give me those Space Camp vibes. I'm going to be in that in that big hoop contraption screaming. Yeah. Yeah, give me that give me that little robot. <laughs> give me a blue jumper. Yeah. I belong in a museum. <laughs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture Artist owned Audience supported